a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Oh, thank you. Welcome back to the Thunder Rooster Podcast. My name is Ron. And I am Paul. And today we're back and we are going to talk about UFOs. There's lots of uh, interesting things going down this little rabbit hole. Unidentified flying objects, Ron. They're everywhere. I know. The main reason for kicking this up today, though, is uh, the Pentagon had released uh, some classified documents, declassifying them, and... uh, Came out flat out said we have some unearthly vehicles, materials. I don't remember if it said vehicles, but I'm. But they said it's real. I mean, they're showing the clips and everything. <laughs> as real as can be. And I think a lot of uh, a lot of the UFO topics get frowned upon because there's so much. I don't know, just negativity. Well, there's stigma it. because. Again, it kind of goes back to, do they believe or not? Right. You There's movies, there's propaganda, there's word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And all this time, we were told no. And then what just exists. came out? Right. It's real. Just how, like, uh, <laughs> the government completely denied the fact of Area 51 being there. Oh, of course. I mean, rumors of Area 51 have been around since, you know, mid-80s. I mean, it started out in the 40s with the CIA airbase, and then in the 50s it moved to, like, um, they're testing nukes, you know, nuclear bombs and stuff like that out in their area. And then ultimately ended up being, like, a test range for new spy planes and uh, secretive projects. But, I mean, the whole thing with Area 51 kind of got brought in with Bob Lazar, uh speaking up about it in 89 yeah and that's kind of what blew it open and ever since then anybody ask anything about the government or to the government about area 51 doesn't exist nope and then finally in 2003 <laughs> they finally recognized that it was a real place but still won't release anything regarding it not a thing nope why would they want to right i mean the testing thing, and that's a great cover for any little secretive base area for anything, you know. It's just a testing place. Well, like you said, they, that that particular spot at Area 51, it's all desert, mm-hmm. and they're going to test bombs, nukes, anything. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with their, their flight things. Like, I know the SR-71 Blackbird it started its trial run out there, and also the, uh, the U-2 spy plane mm-hmm. started out there. I love jets. <laughs> no, of course you don't love jets. Well, uh, let's uh, let's start at the beginning. Um, I wanted to see. Now I know, like watching ancient aliens and stuff like that, they'll they'll say, you know, we've been having signs of UFOs forever and art and everything. It'll be like, I'll insert the picture here, but uh, there's a painting that 
looks it looks like there's a UFO in the background. And maybe, maybe not. But I went ahead and went with um, the first report from America, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. But it was by a Kenneth Arnold, and it was up in Washington State. He was up flying uh, between some mountain ranges, and he came across a UFO. And, you know, he described it as a saucer-like shaped plane or thing. And um, I think they had one other pilot up in the air that witnessed it as well. But they ended up having everybody on the ground find it on radar. And it was quickly picked up by newspapers, Mm -hmm. flying saucers. The thing that's very interesting about this is the fact that two weeks later, the Roswell crash happened. Two weeks after this first report. And then uh, down saucer out <laughs> in Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, do you know know much about Roswell? Not, not too much. Okay, so uh, this all took place in 1947. Um... The Roswell crash happened in July, and like I said earlier, the two weeks before it actually happened was when Kenneth Arnold's sighting was reported. But, so, the saucer crashed in Roswell. A lot of the community went to go check it out, and, you know, they have, of course, you have first responders and everything coming up, and they actually released in a paper the very next day, down saucer, like... I don't know. I don't remember if it said alien chip or anything right. like that, you know, yeah. but the people who were there actually, you know, said that they found bodies of. <sighs> they didn't say alien, but it, it was could have been. very odd looking. They were about the size of a 12 year old boy, large head, big eyes, slits for uh, the nose and the mouth, ears, had four fingers. And uh, very skinny. I I don't know what to believe there. No. <laughs> but the thing of it is, is the military rushed in. And uh, they picked up everything they could. Whisked it away to a uh, local hangar. Mm-hmm. So, I don't remember the exact place, but I do remember it was Hangar 84. Not Hangar 18. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But they had it there, and uh, it, they ended up shipping it off to Dayton, mm-hmm. the Air Force Base there in Dayton. And then ultimately, like it's believed that it ended up in Area 51. There's no way to prove that. but Right, there's no evidence. You know, I'm just going off of what I found. But the way that they tried to um, spin it was saying that it was an air balloon that crashed. An air balloon from the 1940s were, it was a giant air balloon, basically, that was made up of, um, so like neoprene rubber. Okay. And the military officials that they sent down were like top dogs. Like they're, they're heading the big missions and everything like that. So to say that the top-ranking military guys that were there couldn't decipher from a flying saucer 
in a weather balloon. I don't believe that. A little fishy, don't well, you think? Well, highly unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Uh, we have uh, we have many sightings, and there's video out there. A lot of it's not not real. A lot of people get have a lot of fun with their CGI. <laughs> uh, when when did you hear first about UFOs? Probably just watching, you know, sci-fi programs, maybe just hearing news as a kid. Independence Day. Of course, Independence Day. They're Terrible. all coming over. <laughs> Taking it all over. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things you, you know, you see the stuff in pop culture and you, you know, see different types of movies or just, and then it was kind of one of those fascinating things. Again, it was just people just didn't know. Yeah. You know, I, I, I preferably to say that I think we're surrounded by aliens, don't you? It certainly seems like that. I know we work with a few people I have a little <laughs> questions about, but you know, it's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> um, something I found very interesting, I know we have all kinds of pop culture references. I mean, the flying saucer that kicked off, and you know, that's spawned so many things of like cartoons, comic books, uh, sci-fi stories and I guess from just that little bit from the Roswell incident mm-hmm. you know that led on this giant spike because like from then on you got short little gray alien big head big eyes slits through mouth nose and ears I don't know about the finger thing I think Paul the from the movie I was just going to ask you <laughs> did Paul have four fingers? fingers? I think so I think so love that movie yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Seth Rogen. We we got to show a little clip of Paul just in case you don't know what we're talking about for our YouTube viewers. <laughs> we'll insert that right here because I don't have it pulled up. It's probing time. Oh. <laughs> but something that I found, I had no idea about, but I came across it in my research with this, is um, there was actually a patent on what we know as a UFO. And uh, I'll show you a little really? clip. I'll pull it up. But his name was Alexander Winger. Um, he was, he patented, I believe in 1944, but I'll go ahead and pull that up. We'll check it out. During his hunt into Weiger's life, Randy discovered something extraordinary. Hand-drawn designs for an exotic aircraft dating back to the 1920s. Alex appeared to have invented the very first flying saucer. That was an amazing find in itself when I saw the blueprints. Weigers called his futuristic flying machine the Discopter. Designed to take off vertically and float on a cushion of air, it was a unique concept and one he thought cities of the future would make full use of. Weigers patented the Discopter in 1944 and then tried to sell it. 
But yeah, he was drawing those things back in the 20s. And then... Excuse me. Bless you. That was coming out of nowhere. <laughs> Anyways. That thing is fascinating. I want one. Right. Why isn't that the city now? This is the stuff the Jetsons dreamed of, you know. Which also, within watching that, because that's a part of like a little uh, Bloomberg special or whatever. And uh, I watched the whole thing and I'm pretty surprised to see, you know, all kinds of uh, stuff replicated to look like that, you know. The Air Force themselves came out with a disc-type flying vehicle that looked almost exactly like that. It didn't didn't pan out, right? But because the insurance was too high. No, it's just <laughs> I don't think it got maybe twenty foot off the air before it wouldn't oh, go yeah. any further. That's <laughs> no but, good. But most most of the UFOs that you see, just they. Their motion, their speeds, it just disregards all laws that we have for physics here on Earth. And I don't know. I I really don't know what to think sometimes with this. It's kind of hard to really take a stab at it. And then when people <laughs> post videos, most of the times they just look like, you know, just a blinking light. Right. Unless you're very lucky and somebody gets something captured and it's just within split seconds yeah because they're there and they're gone <clears throat> in no time so after the roswell incident happened the air force um, came up with project blue blue book in 1952 and they were basically the government's basically investigating every every report of a ufo now 97 percent of all the cases they looked into could be easily dismissed but that other percent that yep that's a, that's an unidentified still flight missing on one right They're definitely missing on that one you know we have some uh pretty big big events that i remember throughout the years you know you had the phoenix lights mm-hmm. had like a flying v pattern of nine lights just hover over the city the mayor himself was a witness to it and so many thousands of people. And the all the only thing they got explained to about it was the government tried to say that oh they were doing some some kind of para uh flare things or whatever, but you know, I saw videos of how those work and then saw the videos of the Phoenix lights and it's like, yeah, that's that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I don't know if some of the some of our listeners are aware of this, but you actually, you know, you lived in Nevada for quite some time. I did. I mean, now with you being there, I mean, did you, you know, did the locals, I mean, did you hear a lot about Area 51? Why are you there? Or did anyone actually, you know, were they really concerned? Were they, was it discussed? I mean, it's a I mean, pretty not, big deal out in that area, I think. Not really. Um, you know, I obviously was interested in it. Sure. So, you know, I I would meet a bunch of people who were like, have you ever got up there like, let's know? go like and you, you get people that you know you could clearly tell they were lying it's like oh i used to work there or you know i knew a guy my uncle used to, you know you get a lot of that and it's just people just trying to say shit to make you like them <laughs> <laughs> but yeah 
my bullshit meter <laughs> go off really hard. <laughs> but uh, I I saw a lot of uh, the aircraft that would take the workers there back and forth. There are Boeing 747s. They have six of them on rotation. And it's called Janet Airlines. Doesn't say anything. They are big white planes with a red stripe down the sides of them. Have no markings whatsoever on them. And all the windows are like either heavily tinted or glossed over. Like you can't see anything in the windows. But there are certain times of the day that they'll take off and come back and land. And they'll pick up people. I think they have like 122 people, I think, go at a time back and forth. Hmm. And that's how they do it. Or I also heard that, you know, people that live closer around the actual base, they'll have people meet in a town close by, hop on like a charter bus type thing, and they'll just drive them straight in. But, <clears throat> yeah, I really wanted to go, and I'm really kicking myself in the ass for not going the entire time I was out there. <laughs> and how long were you out there for? Uh, I only lived there for a year. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. yeah. Plenty of time to realize I didn't want to be in Vegas anymore. No, I don't blame you. <laughs> I want to Love either. going back, but only for like a week or two. Tops. I'm good. Yeah, um, I guess we can talk about uh, one of the key players in this kind of thing. And, you know, the, the whole goat. reason it kind of popped up was, I guess you want to say the vindication of the man who's been telling the story for 30 years. and A true hero. <laughs> I'll call him the goat right now all day. I mean, we were talking about Bob Lazar. I mentioned him a little earlier, but I... Uh, he blew the whistle back in the late 80s. Uh, a local reporter in Vegas picked him up. His name's George Knapp. Um, he's done a lot of awesome reporting things. Won a bunch of like uh, Emmys, daytime Emmys, I guess. Mm -hmm. But um, he really took a liking to the story. And um, I guess he, I guess you'd say he pretty much believes Bob Lazar. I know he has his oh, doubts. Oh, yeah. I mean, it. it's like, you know the ratings just for what was going on just state of Nevada. I mean, there people were tuning in every night. Oh yeah. Once all this information was released back at that point. I think the only reason why it got as big as it did is because of all the, all the attention they were getting from it. I mean, the ratings, like you said, they just skyrocketed just from the first episode of it. And they shot it of him in a van just outside somewhere. But let me go ahead and uh, we'll show you this little clip of Bob Lazar. So, for those who don't know, check it out. I apologize to the people listening. <laughs> you can go over to our YouTube channel, check it out. My name's Bob Lazar. I'm known for working at a classified base and reverse engineered alien spacecraft. We can't verify what was going on in his background. I have no motivation to lie. The science and the technology can change us. We've always looked to the skies for answers instead of looking into ourselves. That was a little clip from the documentary trailer of Area 51 and Unidentified Flying Objects. Uh... Trying to remember who put that documentary out. Hmm. 
starts with an N? I'm going to insert that here. <laughs> I got to love editing. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but so, Bob Lazar comes out, and of course he's ridiculed for it, but the reason why he came out about it was he was going to lose his job. He says in the documentary that he came out because he he thinks the world should know about it and everything, but I honestly think he was fearful for his life because he didn't know what was going to go on. Um, I think what had happened was he was going to lose his job because, you know, we'll say they, you know, they bugged his phone. You know, he would be away at Area 51 for months at a time, weeks or months. And he was married at the time. And I guess they found out that the wife was having uh, an affair with Bob or with uh, some kind of pilot. And that kind of read as an unstable thing. So I don't quite remember if, you know, they told him about it or he found out, but that came a thing and all the stuff that he'd known kind of shot him into like, oh crap, I got to do something. Plus, he got caught taking his friends in an RV, mind you, out to the outskirts of, UF, of, of Area 51 where they could show them testing out the UFOs that they had. Bob Lazar claims that there are nine recovered aircraft, UFOs, Mm. at Area 51. One of them, which was an archaeological find, they dug it up. (laughs) That's crazy stuff right there. I mean, kind of makes some sense, you know. There's a lot of questions that are unanswered, and I mean... they might still be unanswered in our lifetimes, but hopefully they'll find something out one day. But I don't know. I listened to Bob Lazar. I honestly, I, I don't see him telling the lie about it. Like he seems like he's either. genuinely. I mean, like, I mean, the guy's a genius. He went to MIT. Right. Okay. Not many people even get to even knows some of the information that's going on in a lot of different government sanctions. I mean, Area 51 in itself, you have to have clearance. Yeah. Like on all different type of government jobs. And it's majestic clearance. That's, that's the top one. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm assuming maybe if, if it got to that point where all of these bad things come out or it's, you know, you're just <laughs> you're trying to do your work and you have this kind of hovering over your head. Yeah. Not not just any little typical problem. It's it's an earth problem. Earth problem. <laughs> I mean, you know? All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I don't know. Area 51, right? Area 51. You knew then, and you did nothing. Sir, regardless of what you may have read in the tabloids, there have never been any spacecraft recovered by our government. Take my word for it. There's no Area 51. <laughs> There's no recovered spaceship. Oh, excuse me, Mr. President. That's not entirely accurate. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed that little clip. But uh, 
going to talk a little more about Bob Lazar. Um, a lot of uh, problems that came with Bob Lazar's story is when people went and looked into it. Not, as, not much of a story panned out. Um, here's the thing with Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar was an interesting child. Um, started out putting rocket engines on bicycles. I wish I was that smart. Right? Because I'd have one. Yeah, totally. I probably would have made my own little fighter jet, but, <laughs> you know, but, uh, could you imagine? But, uh, no, I can't. Uh, something that got him discovered was the fact that he had put a jet engine on a Honda car and he got picked up from that. Like, that's how he kind of got discovered. But, you know, like we said before, he went to MIT and Caltech, according to him. But when you go to look into it, you can't find a thing, a single document saying that he went to school there or, you know, he was he was working at Los Alamos before getting picked up and sent over to Area 51, which actually he wasn't officially working at Area 51. It was a little subdivision of Area 51, same kind of area out in Groom Lake, but it was called S4. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they went and they could find people that he'd worked with. He actually took, I believe, George Knapp. I could be wrong on that, but actually took somebody to, like, um, Los Alamos. Mm-hmm. They let him in. Didn't security check him. Everybody, like, waved to people, and he knew his way around the place. And, you know, like he'd been there before. They did, however, find... Um, I guess a little, what do you call it? Like a list of employees mm-hmm. and such. And like, I guess their extensions and whatnot. Maybe I think it was a fun thing. I don't even know. I'm not very well equipped for this uh, little section of the Balthazar area, but they found his name and that's literally like the only thing that he can really point to and say they have coworkers and stuff that he'd worked with that I guess don't want to be associated with the, stigmatism with Bob Lazar so they don't want to go go out in public and say you know I worked with this guy uh, something I think is pretty amazing in the documentary is uh, the little hand scanner that he described at S4 you know and at the time they're like that doesn't exist Like it scans your bones in your hand what you know and then, sure enough after years and years I guess 30 years and sure enough guy has a picture of it was this what you were talking about? Oh, my God. <laughs> I never thought I'd see this again. Shocking. You know, it was another one of those vindicating moments for him, I guess. But, um, yeah, guy's pretty crazy. Um, got anything? I was going to say, kind of elaborating a little bit more on S4. Yeah. So as far as with it, that was just specifically secret site mm-hmm. at Area Fifty One to do to do testing. Right. Correct. From what I gather, it's like into part of a mountain where even now, where you can do the whole Google Maps thing mm-hmm. and look down and stuff. The entrance to the S Four area is basically meant to look and has texture on like the doors and stuff of it, as if it's just part of the mountain. 
Yeah. That's so creepy. <laughs> Got secret compartments. I mean. But something I uh, I remember, I couldn't find the clip for the life of me because I wanted to refresh my mind about it. But I do remember Bob Lazar telling a story and it was either some kind of like show segment or maybe an old part of his earlier release, like documentary type stuff. But I remember them saying when he got to S4 and they basically had the place sectioned off where you had two people grouped together and they, they compartmentalized everybody. So he would never know if the information that they're giving to them was like legit or not. Cause I mean, having it split off so many ways like that, I mean, I guess it'd be easy to figure out anybody trying to pull a fast one, you know, if you just slide in some disinformation here and there. But the interesting thing I remember from that was he was talking to his lab partner at the time, and I guess the guy he replaced got a little too cavalier with, I guess, the Element 115, and it caused, like, a little mini explosion. I guess the dude died. (laughs) The way he was saying it, I really wish I knew where it was, but it was kind of funny. But, uh, I don't know. I just, I have trouble wrapping my mind around. Well, it's like, you know, he, he, he brings this information out, you know, we're trying to make sure he's got credibility, but then yet he served some time in jail. I mean. Did he? Yeah. Oh, from the, the little security system for the brothel or whatever. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think brothels were legalized at the time. Was I, it? I don't think so either. I don't know. I think I'm pretty sure they're illegal. And I want to say the whole state of Nevada. I think it's like, if I remember correctly, I think it's the population of whatever county has to be under a certain number. Which I don't understand that. If you're going to make it legal in everywhere else in the state, right? <laughs> Especially in Vegas where it happens out in front of your face. You know, you get out there, you get a line of people with like, Little flip cards and stuff with naked women on it, you know. People getting them, throwing them on the ground. Little kids picking them up. Hey, Molly, what's this? <laughs> I saw that way too much. <laughs> <laughs> but considering the fact that, you know, he, he's, you know, he celebrated as, you know, this, you know, this, I mean, he was a physicist. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, as far as just coming up with these plans, I mean, the guy really was ahead of his time what i thought was very fascinating um within the documentary was where the period where he was you know he was kind of closing himself off i mean this is a this is heavy heavy stuff you know he's got to keep this in he can't tell anybody i mean it's classified information Mm -hmm. but yet he almost kind of you know it felt like he kind of put himself where he wanted to forget it yeah not really having recollection of what he saw what he worked on and then it's like, you know, he started to go, he went to a hypnosis. And just the fact that he was able to reiterate all that information, he just pulls a pad out and starts sketching furiously. Right. It's like, and it was just like a light switch that went on. But he had no recollection all that time because he just wanted to block it out. I don't blame him. I do the same thing. But literally right. within that instance, it's like I was blown away. 
that he remembered every detail mm-hmm. of every part of that saucer and was able to put in the compartments about here's here's where you know where it's going to access fuel here's where it's going to you know shoot i mean it's just yeah there was a few spots that he was fishy on because you know like you were saying earlier they kind of they kind of grouped people in for certain sections and stuff and luckily he was trying you know he was found on the whole jet propulsion thing they're basically seems like they were just trying to get somebody who's outside the box to come in and be like this guy was putting jet engines on stuff when he was a kid you know maybe he's got a different approach to it mm-hmm. so got him in there and I really thought it was cool how he was explaining how the propulsion system would work mm-hmm. on one of those and basically he was saying that it had to do with gravity. It had these little compulsion systems that would pretty much... I don't know if he said it was like negative gravity or it would bend bend gravity or something like that. But basically an example that they gave was like put a bowling ball on a bed and then go stand on the bed yeah. and the bowling ball will just fall. That's itself. crazy. So I guess the way he was explaining it is the way that... UFOs would move is their engines would bend the gravity so it was basically falling wherever direction they wanted to yeah. go and I never really realized it either because you would just you would see the saucer you know it'd be level you'd think yeah. it would just shoot up but yet it would well a lot of the crazy. a lot of the military recordings that you know that we see it seems like the ships are moving sideways the ones that look like discs or whatever right. Yeah. The Tic Tac one that Commander Fravor, you know, got out there and about, he was uh, one of the F-18 pilots that, you know, was chasing after the ones that were in San Diego. And apparently, this happened in 2004, but they knew that they were out there for weeks. And they finally, you know, some guys went and finally intercepted it. And that's where we got that, that footage and stuff found. A little bitty Tic Tac looking thing. I don't know what size it actually was, but I mean, the way it was moving, there's no way anybody has that kind of stuff here. No, there's no technology like this. No I mean, one saw people, anything like that. And still to this day, I don't think many people even believe it. But I mean, a lot of people want to pass it off as like, well, China or Russia probably has something like that. And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> Let's go ask them. Right. But that's the thing, too. It's like, you know, you have heads of state. They come out and they're really trying to figure out what it is. Could it be a ruse? Be like, well, we got it. You know, I don't know. I think, I don't know where I'm going with that, but. It doesn't matter if we retract now. It's all real. Yeah. (laughs) Those encounters, it's here. It's really just one of those head scratchers. I mean, what does that mean for us? I mean. What does it mean for humanity? Yeah. I mean, think about the technological leaps and bounds we've came. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, it's probably a giant coincidence, but three months after this whole uh, Roswell thing happened, Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier. (laughs) Just three months after that. Coincidence, maybe, because I don't think, you know, you get a whole lot of information based off of three months of something you don't know. Right. Like they use the 
little analogy of like taking a cell phone, like an iPhone and giving it to a caveman or something like that. You know, what are you going to do with it? You want to know. Right. Mm-mm. But I don't know. Just the part of me wants to figure out why if I don't know why it's kept secret. Why not let people know? Because maybe people will be afraid of the truth is one. Maybe. Yeah, I've always heard the whole thing of like a lot of people who are, I guess, atheists. Well, it would come from like an atheist person or something like that. But saying like, you know, if UFOs come out, that means, you know, God's out of the question. Like all faith ends there. I was like, oh, I don't believe so. I think it could be part of it, <laughs> you know. But again, we could all be just in a simulation. <laughs> we could just all be a pawn in, on the puzzle. Yeah. You know what I mean? We just don't know. What we don't know, we fear. I got to ask you, though, what is your favorite alien slash UFO movie? Mm. Oh, let me think here. I mean, Close Encounters, The Third Kind was a good movie. I definitely enjoyed that. No, I actually haven't seen that one. I need to watch that one. Oh, my goodness. I think my favorite was probably The Fourth Kind. Yeah. Oh, uh, that one. That one. Every time I watch it, I get chills whenever, you know, she's under the hypnosis thing. And at the end. Uh, <laughs> not or how about lie. E.T.? We, we didn't even say anything about E.T. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Come on, he's a nice alien. Yeah, he can phone home all he wants. All right, to. fine. He's probably on a uh, gurney somewhere in Area 51 <laughs> with his chest open. He's waiting for Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that movie. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's hard. I want to keep bringing it back to Bob Lazar, but I honestly don't have a whole lot to say about it. Um, I just think it sucks that, you know, he was ridiculed for, you know, earlier you said he was, you know, praised for it. But honestly, it wasn't until recently that he started getting praise for any of it because he had so many people out there discrediting him on everything. And I can obviously see, I can see why, because, I mean, this is a very out of the ordinary story. This is top secret info. He sends us out or lets other people know. I mean... It's life jeopardy. I mean, it's whatever they want to do. I mean, the government will do what they do. No questions asked. So I can understand the fact that he pretty much went into hiding or pretty much dropped off the grid. I would do the same thing. Yeah, he did not want anything to do with it. You had to twist his arm to do any kind of press with this whole thing. I know Jeremy Corbell, who, that's, that's that insert part, you know. Jeremy Corbell, when he was putting together a documentary, um, you know, he really had to coax him into doing it, you know. And I just, I guess he tapped on that string of like, you know, people need to know about this technology because, you know, I mean, the advances we could have on that. Unlimited, you know. There was a sci-fi show I used to watch in the 80s. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before, but it was called V. Um, I did not know about the 80s version, but I do remember when they tried they it the, the second remake. time. Yeah. Yes. yes. That was pretty cool. It was definitely cool. But the, you had the whole idea that you had 
well, they call them when you see them, they look like lizard people now. But yeah. um, but the idea was that these alien, these visitors is what they call them, came to Earth to help out. Literally, their plan was they were to come to Earth and say we have technology that can help you know cure diseases and fix your economy and work in harmony. We just want to work together. But in the end result, that you know it was going to be a survival of the fittest. Right. Here's the next species. And people had to fight back. Yeah. Definitely watch it if you have a chance. You'll you'll really enjoy it. Well, I mean, that's an interesting aspect of it, too, because I remember uh, Stephen Hawking, he was talking about, you know, life out in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, you might, you know, be careful what you ask for, because if you do have a an intelligent, you know, race of aliens coming here, it's going to be like when... Christopher Columbus came over here and wiped out all the Indians. <laughs> Survival of the fittest. I mean, it's not going to look too pretty. Scary, but scary stuff. On another hand, part of me wonders, like, I think, I think that if there were aliens, that they're probably just walking amongst us, you know. Might, there might have been, I've, I've heard rumors and stuff of conspiracy theories where they're talking about Galactic treaties, even, you know, kind of thing. And I, I even remember hearing stories of like galactic wars and everything. And we've got military bases on Mars and the moon already. And man, it's a giant rabbit hole you can get sucked down <laughs> into at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Lizard people, Ugh. time travelers. <laughs> Lizard traveling cars. Space Force. <laughs> It'll be so great. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I think that's about it on the UFO. Do you got anything else? No, I think it's extremely fascinating. It's something that, you know, just as we finally have gotten an answer now that this is real, now people are going to really start to take heart to this, start to go, are they here? Are they among us? Are they all in Washington? I mean... <laughs> They might be. They might all be. I mean, with the way things are, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, not to get political here. No. Nah, either way, you know, <laughs> Trump's an interesting specimen, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep politics out of this. But no, it was it was very eye-opening, especially now with what had just come out in the news. Mm-hmm. And definitely I'm going to continue to like look into these kind of things. And who knows, maybe one day... We'll have an experience we don't know maybe disclosure is finally going to be around the corner could be i mean if they're doing this and releasing like hey there's vehicles and materials that didn't come from this planet and we have them if they're going to do that why not go full on maybe maybe they're just going to release a little at a time i really think that's probably the smartest thing it's kind of like boiling a frog you ever that's hear that good. analogy yep oh it's boy raise the temperature just slowly and sure enough <laughs> see what happens <laughs> but yeah I guess that's gonna do it for this one um uh, sorry for the uh little spottiness of this one I kind of threw this one at uh Paul a little late in the game <laughs> so uh yeah we'll get better about this we're still learning oh we're good oh we're fine <laughs> All right, guys, we'll uh, catch you around next week. Uh, Check out our YouTube channel. The link will be in the description. And hopefully we'll have some uh, T-shirts up. 
They are in the works, and when this gets released, I'm not sure if they'll be up or not. If not, we'll be checking back on our next episode. All right, guys. All right. Have a good day. Thanks again. Later. Later. If you think that's strange, you should see how we pee. Oh. Oh.